How's my financial health, Doc? Welcome to the Financial Literacy Podcast for Healthcare Professionals, where financial security and wealth topics are not a taboo. I truly did not. I was ignorant, and I'm still ignorant. What I did not understand was that there was a maximum limit. And that limit you've mentioned clearly multiple times is seven thousand two hundred. There is a grant which you had actually mentioned. Uh, the grant is a total of seven thousand two hundred per lifetime for each individual. As a father, I can put up to $50,000 maximum into this bucket called RESP. The money that I put in is tax sheltered. But the government will give me a grant. And if I do it religiously year after year, after $36,000, there is no more government grant because I would have maxed out my $7,200, which means between 36,000 and 50,000, there's a 14,000. That $14,000 that I put in extra while I save on taxes and it's tax sheltered, I actually don't get government grant on that. Welcome everybody. And this episode is just a logical continuation on episodes 28 and 29, Think About the Kids, Part 1, Part 2. We will be discussing RESPs and how to hack them so that you make the best of your savings for your children. So if you have not listened to those episodes, please do. Think about the kids. Go and listen to that before you come back to this episode. Okay, welcome back everybody to How's My Financial Health Doc podcast. Today, I have with me my good friend, Ken Pei. I don't know if you guys remember about Ken. Ken did podcast with me very long time ago when I first started young, naive, and ignorant. I'm still, I'm still ignorant. I'm still naive, but maybe not as young anymore. So anyways, that being said, I want to uh, welcome Ken back to the show. And just so that we know who Ken is, because it's been a quite a long time, I would like Ken to remind us what he does in his uh, day job. Hey, Bru. Um, hi, everybody. It's uh, good to be back. I hope everybody's staying safe. And, and I hope that you guys uh, were able to cope throughout this last year of uh, pandemic and lockdowns and whatnot. So to those of you who don't recall um, our podcast in the past, I am actually a financial planner uh, with one of the big banks. Uh, I've been in this industry since 2005, and I'm a certified financial planner. So Vu and I have worked together in collaboration because you know, I wanted to also support him and help out. And hopefully, uh, you know, the listeners will be able to learn from all the things that we are sharing to you. I, what you said is very important. You're a financial planner, 
and you're a CFP designate. I think those are very important because that speaks to your integrity and to your uh, credibility. Today, we're going to be talking about RESPs again. So remember, Ken, we spoke about this in my very, very early podcast days. Now I've brought you back because I want to talk about something that, you know what, the industry doesn't talk about. And this is, we're going to talk about how to hack the RSP. What do I mean by hack the RSP? You know, a lot of us contribute to RSP in a certain way. We've been taught to do it in a way that is more your traditional, you know, vanilla type. What we're going to talk about today are different other measures that we can do to contribute to RSP. And we're going to compare them. That's what we're going to do today. And we're going to do that with your help, Ken. So here we go. So I want to talk about something that I was not aware of until very recently. And this blew my mind. So my understanding of the RESP is as such. Uh, my kid is born. And at some point, I decide to contribute to some money to his education fund. I know that I've got over the lifespan of that contribution, I can contribute up to 50,000, 50,000 50, of that money. When I contribute 50,000 into my child's RESP account, the money that I put in and the growth is tax-free. The, the 50,000 that I put in is also tax-free, correct? And the growth is tax-free. Until at some point, my child is now 18 years old, 17, and decides to go to post-secondary. And it's the hope that the amount that I put in over the years, so let's just say 18, because my son will go to school at 18 to go to university at 18. So let's assume that I'm going to put this 50,000 spread over 18 years and that I'm putting into something, some investment that will give me, let's say a five, 6%, or if I'm more aggressive, let's say seven, 8%, but let's just take 5% as our example here. So I'm going to put this amount into this account over 18 years at 5% growth. During that time, my 50,000 hopefully will grow 18 years later to 90, 100,000, whatever that amount may be. And I'm just going to use 100,000 here as a round number. And when I need that money, so I went from 50,000 to 100,000. When my son goes to university and he slowly takes that money out to pay for tuition, that is when it is considered income. And that's when it's being taxed. But because my son is still a student, not working, not having a much income. Therefore, his tax bracket will be low. And therefore, the money taken out as income will be taxed at the tax bracket that it will be, hopefully at that time, still low because he's a student. And that's what makes it tax efficient. Have I properly described what an RESP should be? Um, you have, Vu. I just wanted to um, kind of uh, clarify a few things for our listeners. Uh, so your RESP is actually a government kind of registered account that the government had created. So to encourage people to save money for education, there is a grant which Vu had actually mentioned. Uh, the grant is a total of 7200 per lifetime for each individual. Now, when you put the money in, it's not necessarily tax-free. 
uh, I would say the more appropriate term would be tax deferred. Uh, reason being is because uh, we might mis misconstrue that as a completely there's no tax that's going to be paid off. Although Vu clarified in the end that when the child takes the money out, there will be some taxable event. Now, just to clarify, if you guys invested that money into the RESP, so in this particular case, what Vu is actually alluding to is an RESP that is self-directed, not a trust. It's a, it's a self-directed one whereby you can actually invest the money and have control over what you invest that money into. Once the child goes to university, he's now he or she's now 17, 18, 19, whatever age that might be, and they are able to go to an eligible uh, post-secondary school, uh, they can withdraw the money. And there's going to be a couple of things you need to consider or need to factor in here when it comes to taxation. One is the the amount of money that uh, the, stu the student takes that is government grant and also partly maybe the growth of the investments will be taxable to that student. But the amount of money that you as a parent, for instance, VU, if you put, it in the, uh, if you put that money in and they took that money out, that is not taxable. It's only the growth and also the grant. Those are the taxable amounts to the student, which is why typically the students will not have to pay taxes unless they really are working already. Thank you for clarifying that. I, on purpose, did not mention the grant just yet. The reason why I didn't mention the grant is because I just wanted people to understand the mechanics, the basic mechanics of an RESP and what that account should be and what it's for. So now that we've described that it's for tuition, now that we've described that it's for use for post-secondary education. And by the way, I, I don't know if you mentioned, but post-secondary education does not just mean university. Am I correct, Ken? Yes. There is a list that you can actually find on the government site. Just search on Canada.ca and they have some lists of uh, post-education schools, colleges, universities, whatnot, that are eligible. If they're not eligible, then they can't use that grant. Correct. And I believe that among that list, just for the sake of our listeners, that among that list, you will find different trade schools as well, because they can go into a trade and not necessarily a university degree. That's correct. Okay. So now that we've clarified that, let's now put in the government grant. So let's describe a little bit about the government grant. So you mentioned earlier that the lifetime of this account, which is one in one student, one account, in the lifetime of this account, the government can give you a grant up to 7,200. So can help us understand how this grant is being distributed and when this is being distributed. So sorry, I'm just gonna backtrack a little bit just to clarify too that if you are opening an RESP account for any child that the that child can have multiple RESPs okay so one one could be opened by the parent and another one opened by the the grandparent and so on and so forth anybody can open an RESP it's just that the grant is actually limited 7200 max for each individual regardless of how many accounts they do have now, um, to your question, Vu, how do we actually take advantage of the grant money? 
So there are certain rules. And if you want to verify uh, the rules, because the rules may change through the years, I don't know how long this podcast is going to be online. So it may change. So what you want to make sure of is to always double check with the government side. But at this point in time, if you're thinking about the grant money, the grant money, there are certain limits. Each year, you are able to get about 20% of the amount of money that you put in up to a maximum of $500. Let's say for, let's say for argument's sake that you know, you're a late starter. Uh, you're a new doctor. Uh, you have a lot of bills to pay and you have a child, but you don't have quite the cash flow yet to put some money in. And you decided, you know, my, my child's five years old. Now I'm going to start putting money in. If you started a little bit later than when the child was born, you can do some catch up one year at a time. Meaning if you're able to put in 5,000, because remember $2,500 times 20% will give you $500. That's a maximum you can get per year. Now, if you want to play catch up, you can only play catch up one year at a time. Meaning if you put in $5,000, you multiply that by 20%, you now get the grant for this year, 500 plus the year prior that you missed. Okay. So once you do that, uh, and then your grant money accumulates through the years of up to 7,200, that's where you will stop getting grants further. Okay. So let me recap this because it's, it's, kind of complicated. If I am contributing 2,500 a year and the government will give me a grant of 20%. And as you say, that will give you my $500 per year grant by the government. That's the max per year, which means if I contribute my, me contributing 2,500 a year, I'm getting the maximum grant of 500 per year by the government. I just did a simple math here. If I multiply 2,500 multiplied by 18 years, it only gives me $45,000, which means there's another 5,000 that the government actually doesn't give me a grant on. And so I think what we need to remember, and I did not understand this. I truly did not. I was ignorant and I'm still ignorant, but what I did not understand was that there was a maximum limit. And that limit you've mentioned clearly multiple times is 7,200. Even though I am putting money in and the government is putting money in as well, the government is only given a maximum of 7,200. They don't match me one per one for sure. Given this scenario, I also understand very recently, which really blew my mind, is that once I contribute above 36,000, there is no more government grant. Here's how it works, guys. So remember what I said earlier, whereby you can put as much as, well, you can get as much as $500 per year. Now, just to kind of kind of uh, give you a little bit of a disclaimer, there's other factors involved that you can get extra grant but that's more for lower income earners. And we're talking to medical practitioners. So we're, we're assuming that you guys are not going to fall under that category. So assuming that you guys are actually getting that 20%. Now, if you get, if you put in $2,500 this year, you multiply that by 20%, you get $500. So when you do that, 
uh, and you continue that year after year after year, what's going to happen is that the amount of money that you put in plus the government grant will, be, will, will actually be placed into what I would like to call a bucket. Your bucket of money is now under some sort of like an umbrella that protects the money from getting wet with taxes. Okay. And that's your RESP, your Registered Education Savings Plan. You can do anything with that money. You can just park it in cash. You can go ahead and invest it in some fixed income investment vehicle, or you can grow it in the market. If you're growing that money in the market, as long as it's underneath that umbrella, inside that bucket, you're not going to have to pay taxes at that point in time. You continue to do that through the years. And then at some point in time, you will now be able to collect all the $7,200. I think, Vu, uh, do you recall, Vu, when we did our calculations, how many years before we get the 7200 It's uh, It's around 14, 15, almost 15 years. 14 right? and a half years. It's about 14 and a half years. You will fully get that 7200 if you're actually religiously putting every year, the maximum. As, as Vu was saying, well, Ken, what happens to the rest of that money? Because uh, I don't know if we actually mentioned earlier, Vu, I think you might have. There is a maximum amount of money you can actually contribute into an RESP, right? $50,000. So if you're thinking about it, Vu, you and I were talking about this. How much money will I contribute throughout those 15 years to be able to get that 7200 grant? 36000 we mentioned. $36,000. So that means the big question that Boo is trying to intrigue you guys with is that there's $50,000 that you can put in, but then now you only get grants if you actually religiously put every year up to $36,000. So what happens to the rest of that money? That's the big question mark. Okay. So let me recap this into something digestible so that I can understand as well. <laughs> it's fairly okay. complicated. As a father, I can put up to $50,000 maximum into this bucket called RESP. The money that I put in is tax sheltered. The government will give me a grant. And if I do it religiously year after year, after 36,000, there is no more government grant because I would have maxed out my 7,200, which means between 36,000 and 50,000, there's a 14,000. That $14,000 that I put in extra while I save on taxes and it's tax sheltered, I actually don't get government grant on that. What I'm saying is I can put up to 50 grand, but up to 36 grand, that's when I get the government grant. In the other 14 grand, I no longer get a government grant. Now, this is important because this is where the meat of the matter starts. This is where we talk about the hack. So everybody, this is where we start. After 36,000 of my contribution, there is no further government grant because we would have maxed out on the 7,200. It also means that the additional 14,000 that I'm going to contribute no longer has a grant. When I 
contributed to my RESP many, many years ago. I did not understand that at all. And so what I did is like what everybody did is I took that 50,000 divided by 18 years, divide that by 12 months, and I made my you know, monthly contribution into my account, or sorry, never realizing that I would maximize my government match after 14 years. So are there other ways of doing this that not only you maximize the government match and grant, but you can also make your money go farther? And the answer is not surprising. The reason why we're doing this podcast is that the answer is yes, with a definite yes. So what are the ways that we can do this that will maximize our money and also maximize that government match? Since I know that I've got that 14,000 that does not come with a government match, why should I not from the get-go one lump sum of 14,000, let's just pick a round number, 15,000. From, from day one, my, my baby is born. I decide to do an RESP. Knowing what we just know, I'm going to put 15,000, which represent our 14. We talked about that, but I'm, I'm just rounding it up. I'm going to put 15,000 as a lump sum into that bucket. The other 35, I'm going to do it monthly like I would with my 50,000 that I did before. But instead of doing it with 50,000, I'm gonna put 15,000 lump sum and the other 35, I'm gonna do it, split it over 18 years. And I'm gonna put it in some investment. And the investment, I'm gonna be quite, let's say balanced. And I'm gonna put it in something that will give me a rate of return of 5%. If I did that compared to the 50,000, divided by 18. So what I what I did before, I just took the 50,000, I said, bank, do something with it and just contribute over 18 years, split it into that amount. Again, put it in the same investment with the same return of 5%. If I did option number two, which is the one that's over 18 years at 5%, putting 2,777 and 77 cents. That's what 50,000 divided by 18 years divided by 12 months really means every month. If I did that, it will give me 94,800 and change after 18 years. If I did the other way, option one, which is I'm putting an initial 1515, 15,000, and then the other 35. I'm going to split it over 18 years and contribute every month. I actually get 108,404. I now, based on that, have almost $14,000 more. That's what the math shows. Explain to us why that happened. So I just wanted to go ahead and make sure I clarify a few things, uh, Vu, here, because just a few things, because... You're explaining something about the $2,777.77. Just for listeners' sake, so that they don't get confused, that is an annual amount, okay? In this calculation that Vu is talking about that he and I have put our heads together in, uh, we're assuming it's an annual contribution, not monthly. 
the other thing too is that when you actually talked about fifteen thousand dollars and then twenty five hundred dollars each year in the in the first year when you put fifteen thousand dollars, the twenty five hundred dollars for that year is already included there. That means twenty five hundred dollars plus twelve thousand five hundred fifteen thousand, and then the rest of the seventeen years will be twenty five hundred dollars a year. Okay, just so that for clarification, especially for the analytical people out there, because uh, you're probably going to do the math on this one. Uh, so if you're thinking about this, guys, I want you to think winter. I know nobody wants to think about winter. We just went past winter, especially with this COVID environment. Uh, we don't want to think about winter because it's so depressing. But thinking about winter, one snowy day out there. You and your, you and your child are playing out in the, in the park uh, or in the backyard. And then, you know, you started to, you decided you want to make a snowman, right? So how do you start making a snowman? You go get yourself, uh, you know, maybe a handful of snow. You kind of make that thing compact enough. And if it's, and you, the best part is actually when it's a little fresh snow, but a little bit wet, right? And then what do you do to make that bigger? Vu, do you remember? How do you make that snowball big? I roll it on the ground. You and roll just roll ground. it and roll it and roll it. And when you roll it in the beginning, it feels like this is going to take forever. But, you know, you're a very good dad. You love your children. You say, I'm going to keep on being patient. I'm going to keep on rolling. But lo and behold, once the, once the snowball starts to become bigger, you find that it's actually becoming bigger, faster. Why is that? Exactly. So you're, we're talking about exponential growth at that point. Right. So I think, Vu, you had a podcast on uh, what we call the power of compounding. The power of compounding. Absolutely. Yeah. The eighth right. wonder of the world. So when you guys think about this, the reason why this is important is because if you say your child was born today, and typically in Canada, at least, and unless they change you know, the, number, the uh, education system, you would have about 18 years to go before you go to university at an average, right? That's plenty of time. Plenty of time for you to start that, to make that snowball, a handful of snow right now. And then you roll that and roll that and roll that and it becomes bigger and bigger. And then before you know it, that's what Vu was saying. You get a hundred some thousand dollars because you actually put in $15,000 in the beginning as opposed to you're putting only $2,700 in the beginning. So you have a little bit more money to begin with then you can roll that bigger uh, snowball and then you can actually get more traction as you go uh, throughout the 18 years. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So what you're saying is, had we started with the 2,777 and grow it at 5% over a year, it's not the same in terms of power as starting at 15,000 and rolling it and increase it at 5% year over year, over 18 years. So obviously the power compounding depends on time, the longer time you have. So if I put it on 18 years versus only 10 years, so the more time I allow to compound, the better. But the other factor is the initial amount. If I start with only 2,700 versus 15,000, well, the initial amount multiplied by 18 years also is another important factor in compounding. And so right. 
Why did we choose 15,000? We chose 15,000, remember, because of that discussion of 14,000 that you don't get a government grant for. And since you don't get a government grant for, why don't you put in that 14,000 that you were never going to get the government grant for anyways? Now, this is assuming that me, Vu, or you, Ken, already have that 14 or 15,000 lump sum to begin with. Now, if we did have that, then that would be one way of doing it. So let me recap. If we put in that 15,000 initially, and then every year we put in 2,500 for the next 18 years, actually it's not 18 years, because if we did that, we would only, we would max out at, at 15 years. So after 15 years, we wouldn't put any more 2,500, but we would still let it grow. At age 18, when my son is ready to go to university, it gives at 5% interest, it gives 108,404. If we did the other way, the way that I did not knowing is that I took that 50,000 divided by 18 years, which is every year 2,777 growing at 5%, I would get 94,800. As you can see, there's a difference there of $14,000. Okay, right. so that's one hack. The hack is if you do have that amount sitting somewhere inside your pillow or inside your wallet and you've got 15,000 that you don't know what to do with, that would be a great strategy to do is put in that lump sum. And just for our listeners' sake, you know, and also for us as disclaimer, I mean, there's going to be a lot of combinations that you guys can come up with, especially if you're very analytical. Now, there's a lot of different things like the scenario that Vu had mentioned. You know, sometimes we don't have the money to begin with, or some. If we do, then great. If we don't, then of course people would like to get some something uh, instead of nothing, as opposed to not getting any single dollar from the government, right? Absolutely. Now. I just want to come back that in both of these example, you're still getting your maximum 7,200 grant, right? Yes. We did not forgo, we did not forgo that. Correct. So now, now this is, this, this is where it blew my mind even more. So if you can think that my blind already shred in pieces, this one will shred it even more. So here's another scenario. I, you know what I decide, I, I want to use the power of compounding. I don't care about the government grant. Let's just forget the 7,200 from the government. So what I'm going to do is, you know what? I'm going to do everything possible to scrape every single dust and penny off my floor and come up with 50,000 and put it one lump sum. Ken, will you allow me to do that? Yes, I will. If you have the ability to do it, I would. Remember, okay. Vu, the picture that we painted yeah. on the snowball? Absolutely. So I'm going to take that idea and with your permission, with my monopoly money now, I'm going to put $50,000, boom, one lump sum. And by doing that, I actually forego the government grant because I actually don't qualify for that. But I'm going to put that $50,000, one lump sum, invested in the same investment that we did for the other two examples. 
and grow it at 5%. And I'm going to let it roll. That at 18, it will give me $121,500. Even more than the 15 grand that I put initially and then spread the 35 equally. And I, not only do I forego the government grant, I scraped enough money for 50,000 to put one lump sum and grow at a 5%. I actually end up with more money. So Ken, this really speaks to the power of compounding, doesn't it? Like I said, you have 18 years. That's plenty of time. A lot of my clients who are, sometimes I meet them later in their life, sometimes would tell me, Ken, I wish I met you a lot earlier. Uh, you know, because when I do their plans, I said, okay, here's what we're going to have to do. Some of them will just kind of like be on the cusp of, okay, you're going to be all right when you retire, but there's not going to be enough for extra stuff like healthcare costs. It's important for you to start as early as you can, when you can, uh, when you have the ability to, uh, and just like what Vu actually emphasized on, it's this power of compounding that really uh, makes a huge difference. Now, also wanted to kind of just kind of give you guys a little bit of a disclaimer. Of course, some of the things that Vu had mentioned here are things like, okay, you're making 5% a year and whatnot. Of course, when you are in the market, I would, I would probably, I'm speaking to some of the cynics out there because you're saying, well, that's impossible. You can't get 5% every single year. We're talking about averages, guys, okay? So it's not necessarily going to be an exact math because we know that we can't guarantee the 5%. But... Uh, we also know that we, if you had a little bit uh, higher risk appetite, you actually can get more than 5%. Or I know you can get less, but if you have a more conservative approach. But all we're doing is we're giving an example based on an assumption that we're averaging 5% a year. And with that, even with that 5%, as you can tell from what Vu had shared with us, if you do the lump sum, and then you wait 18 years down the road, you see, wow, I got 120 some thousand as opposed to 94 or $1,000. Here's another thing that you guys need to keep in mind. When your son or your daughter turns 18, let me ask you this question and maybe Vu can answer on your behalf. When your daughter or your son turns 18, now it's their first year of university freshman, that bucket of $120,000 or 94 or 101000 whichever that is that maybe you have, are you going to go ahead and tip that bucket over, take everything out so that they can pay for their tuition fee for the first semester? Obviously not. You take it no. slowly. Whatever yeah. you need and the rest is still in the bucket and continues to grow. And the thing, the reason why I'm pointing this out, guys, is this is very similar to your RRSP, your Registered Retirement Savings Plan, because when you start taking money out, you're not taking the entire amount out. You're taking only a small portion of that out, right? It's like that bucket with a little bit of a tap on the side where you turn that tap so that it drips some water, which is the money that they need for their tuition fees and whatnot. And then the rest of that money will continue to grow. If they were to go to a med school or they want to be lawyers, uh, they're going to have to go through their undergrad and they will have to go through another uh, post-grad uh, post school. There's going to be a lot of years that they need this money for. So what is it that that's what's the most sensible thing to do? Let the money continue to grow tax sheltered as much as possible. Take only what you need and continue to grow that money. Does that make sense? 
Absolutely, very important point, Ken. The regular vanilla traditional way of doing it is take the fifty thousand divided by eighteen years, and just put in whatever put in two thousand seven hundred seventy seven and seventy seven year after year for eighteen years. That's the vanilla traditional way of doing it. You want to be a little bit more creative, and in this particular scenario, you say I'm going to put fifteen thousand lump sum, and still. The other thirty-five thousand divided by eighteen years, and still get the government grant. In that scenario, you make a little bit more. You actually accumulate a little bit more than the traditional vanilla way. But the most effective way, actually, is put in that fifty thousand one lump sum. But in that scenario, you actually forego the government grant, and so that's important、right. to remember. But in all of these scenarios, the one that leverages the most the the power of compounding is actually the fifty thousand one lump sum, which literally blew my mind because I was thinking that that government grant of seven thousand two hundred was important, and don't get me wrong, it is important. But when you look at the math, it's actually not as important as the power of compounding. And just so you guys know, that fifty thousand—if you put that the first year, of course you're going to get the grant for that year, which is five hundred dollars. So yes, you did get something from the government—five hundred bucks. But you know what? You still get your hundred twenty-some thousand at the end of the day. So you know you're happy camper. And and you know what, dude? That's a very this is a very important point because perspective is always important. You know, we humans, for some reason, our tendencies we like free stuff, right? We do. So. We we go and say, oh, you know what? You're gonna get the grant. Why don't you put some money in? It works for some people, especially if your income is very low and you're not and your cash flow is very tight. That makes sense. Something is better than nothing. If you can put some money in now and the government grants, of course, take it. That's the same thing that I tell my clients when it comes to their pension plans or their defined contribution plans at work or matching benefits at work. If your company matches it, put some money as much as they would match because you already made a hundred percent, right? But if you have the ability, as a as a practitioner, whether you are a nurse, a doctor, a dentist, whomever you are, as long as you have the ability to put that lump sum amount at the beginning, power of compounding, guys. If you don't know it, research it or listen to Vu's podcast on power of compounding. You know what? I wish I met you 18 years ago. So those are the different hacks that you can do with the RSP. Obviously, if you have that capability. There are still some limitations to the RSP, right? In that RSP bucket, there are some mechanics that we cannot forget. For example, that money is attached to that individual, to to my son, and so that money is also used for education, and it has to belong to that list of eligible education. So there are some strings attached to the RESP. So the question is, can we create an RESP-like, not an RESP, an RESP-like fund with other ways? Obviously, not everything will have the same tax shelter advantage as an RESP. But if you think outside the box, 
and think what are the different ways that I can use to build up a amount of money to use compounding and interest, RESP is definitely not the only one. You know, one thing that I realized is that, you know, for some of us, especially for our listeners, some of you might actually expect your children to go to grad school, post-grad school, you know, and beyond. Or some of us would have very high standards. We want them to go to an Ivy League school in America that costs an arm and a leg and maybe your lung or your kidney or something, right? <laughs> so, so sometimes I would get a question of what if I wanted to, to save more money? If 50000 is not going to cut it, so I need to be putting some more money. Uh, but one of the things that you can potentially do is maybe set up an informal trust for the child's name. Okay. And then you say, okay, I've already maxed out my 50. I put 50, but I can put some more money. I'll put it away in an informal trust for my child. And basically how that works is that you, you as a subscriber, if there's any dividends or distribution or interest or capital gains and, and during those years, you will be, li- you will be held liable for the tax, uh, for that taxable event. However, if for anything else, so let's say you put $100,000 and then 18 years down the road, it's grown to, let's just say hypothetically, $500,000, right? Now you have $400,000 of capital gain. What you do at that point in time when your child turns 18 is you now change the ownership to your child who is now an adult. And now the child, when the child pulls the money out slowly, whatever capital gain is due is now taxable to him or her. Okay, so on top of your RESPs, if you really want, if you have very high goals for your child and you want to make sure there's money for them and when they go to grad school, uh, that's also another way for you to do that. There's, of course, there's a lot of different ways, but I'm just giving you some tidbits and ideas. Thank you for adding that because the idea of doing an informal trust or family trust, this is one way of also building enough money so that, you know, your child can go to Harvard and then Oxford and then what else afterwards? RESP is definitely not the only vehicle possible. There are many ways of doing this, but the vanilla, the traditional way is obviously through an RESP, but even through an RESP, there are different strategies that could be taken. I myself was not uh, knowledgeable about this when I first started with my son's RESP and even with my daughter's RESP. And now they're older and they're about to go to university. If I could turn back time, I would do things so differently now, so differently. But I'm hoping that this particular podcast will help the young families and the young moms and the young dads to think outside the box and think of the different strategies that you can take to help with your son's and daughter's tuition. Because trust me, and you know this, Ken, right? The growth, or I should say, the increase in tuition has outpaced inflation by many, many multiples. Tuition has become so expensive that it has outpaced inflation at least for the last 20 years. So if you think that it costs a lot of money now, imagine how much it would cost 18 years from now if you're a brand new mom and a brand new dad. Right. The cost of education, guys, it goes up faster than the normal inflation rate that we have today. 
course, you know, depending on what your goals are, if you want to fully fund your children's education, that's one thing. If you don't, then that's fine too. I'm of the mind that when I gave birth or my wife gave birth to my child mm -hmm. and at day zero, when I look into that child's eyes, we all want to do the best and give that child the most leg up that we can in this, in this world. And that doesn't stop just because they're 18. In fact, when I speak with my mom, she doesn't see me as a 47 year old man. She sees me mm -hmm. as that five year old boy that she's known all her life. Right. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so that unconditional love doesn't end just because we're 18. Right. That's true. So yeah, guys. So you know what? Uh, education is born from many cultures, uh, many backgrounds. Uh, our kids' future is always important for, I would say, almost 100% of the parents there probably care for their children um, and, make, and their welfare in the future. So, you know, these are very important topics. And, you know, you need to go seek help. If you don't get it, you're not a math person, seek help. Go to your financial planner. So thank you very much, Ken. I think this was a good discussion. And as I said, you know, those are mistakes that you don't get back. Uh, I wish I knew you 18 years ago so that I knew this, these types of tricks and hacks. But for you and mom, for the new moms and dads out there with a brand new kid and brand new baby, think about different ways to do things. The traditional vanilla way of funding an RSP may not be the most efficient for you. And so thank you very much, uh, Ken, for allowing us to pick your brain again. Thank you, Drew. It was always a pleasure. I'm going to take this opportunity again to put a little plug about my virtual workshop that is happening on June 4th. It's a whole day event from 9 a.m. until 5 p.m. And it will be done virtually via Zoom. And where we're going to be going through the basics of personal financial literacy. Although it's a course for basic concepts, I will introduce in there little nuggets of more sophisticated concepts as well. And it's not a one-day didactic course. It's meant to be a workshop. So please come and join me. It will be interactive. It will be fun. And it will be on June 4th. Please visit www.beautifultimesinc.ca. So beautifultimesinc.ca in one word forward slash conference and workshops in one word june 4th see you guys there if you want to reach out to me you can go on to my new website financialhealthdoc.com again it is financialhealthdoc.com or email me at hmfhd2020 at gmail.com if you have enjoyed these podcasts please Share with one more friend or one more colleague. Thank you. How is My Financial Health Doc podcast is hosted by Dr. Vukit Tran. Dr. Tran is a physician with a special interest in personal financial security and wealth education. Dr. Tran does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through this financial podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. Please confer with your advisor, lawyer, or accountant for specific advice.